good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. I have some excellent news for you today, not even just in the mainstream, but also for the podcast and good things coming. If you are subscribed to the podcast, and when I say subscribed, I'm referring to the Substack version, and this would have come to you via email, if that's how you know. The Substack, I did some announcements yesterday. Of course, the big announcement is that letting everybody know that we do have snippets available on YouTube. The main reason that this makes sense is this one focuses directly on the token when we cover an underdog token. They're quick, shareable snippets of the podcast. They do not have full episodes. There's one that's the full episode just so people get a sense of the podcast. But generally speaking, these are snippets designed to encourage people to dial into the podcast and listen to the the main episodes. So I want to be clear and reinforce. There's nothing changing with the podcast or the platforms or the hosting or anything you're doing today. It will remain the same. This is an additional outlet for people that may just want the bite-sized chunks or the direct coin information. Plus, there's there's an audience out there on YouTube who specifically are looking for these types of things. They're looking for information about various tokens, Satama being probably at the top of the list right now. And so we're in the process of migrating some of these snippets over to YouTube where we see there's a direct, immediate relevance. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to change everything. All we're saying is we want to make sure that this is going to move everything forward. As a podcast, we want to build and, and develop this thing out a little bit further. So that announcement went out via the email, but I'm doing it here on the audio because if you're not subscribed on Substack, and I recommend you do, but if you're not, I want to make sure you do hear that we do have this YouTube snippet. So if you have friends or family who, for whatever reason, they don't like podcasts, but maybe they do, they're fine with YouTube and they do listen to YouTube updates, they can also subscribe there and get the information about coins that may be relevant for them. Just know it's not going to cover the news. It's not going to cover the kind of the opinion pieces in general about the state of the industry and the economy and what's going on. So if you want to share those out, feel free. I would recommend sharing out the podcast, but I recognize that some people are just not into podcasts. And so that's why the YouTube alternative was created in the first place to make sure that you do have an opportunity to share it out to multiple people and any shares that you do help the podcast greatly. So let's get into our internal news beyond the YouTube piece. We did a uh, there was a giveaway that was happening in a contest where they wanted to submit a meme. And we did for any printer, I think arguably our best artwork. If you are on pretty much any podcast platform, but certainly Spotify has this. When you're looking at the list of podcasts, you can see the at least a thumbnail, of that image off to the left. That's what I'm referring to. And if you go back to the the any printer episode, I think it's arguably the best art we've ever done. Um, it was a spur of the moment thing. We just figured we would put it out there and see what we could do with it. And we submitted that, of course, as a uh, for the competition, and we won. And so now we're waiting to get the the drop from the Any Printer team. But we appreciate the Any Printer team for the opportunity to compete on that. Um, there was a lot of really good memes. We we laughed at quite a few of them. Ours was spur of the moment, so we didn't fully expect to win this. We we thought that. You know, there's a lot of hot and heavy competition. We had some really big shoes to fill, and we were appreciative that ours was able to stand out. So that's there. So we're excited, and we, we again, appreciate the Any Printer team for that opportunity to even be a participant in that, and we're waiting for the drop with anxious anticipation. Uh, so that's exciting. 
And then, of course, in the news, there's two points I'm going to cover, primary news and then the one secondary news. But on the primary, the first one that I think is worth your time anyway, there's a lot, but that's worth your time. So I mentioned before that, you know, Elon had sent out this tweet that I thought was very ill-fated because it's kind of manipulation. And he said, you know, if McDonald's accept this thing, then, you know, da, 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 for Doge, right? Because Elon is, of course, associated with Doge, and as a result, the price spiked ever slightly. Again, it's a form of manipulation, in my opinion, but it is what it is. It happened, so there it is. Apparently, McDonald's responded to this out, outreach, and then there was a, I think it's a stupid response. It's probably some intern, but uh, what they said was, if you accept Grimace coin, which is some fake crypto, it doesn't exist, but you accept Grimace coin, then we'll do it. I don't know. Again, it strikes me as some sort of an intern that's just making a joke. Like Wendy's Twitter account will often just make jokes back to like um, Jim Cornette or Big E. Um, Carl's Twitter account sometimes does funny things. And so some of these are just run by like kids who are doing internships or temporary jobs or something. And I don't think there's anything serious behind it. I think McDonald's whole thing is at some point I do expect them to respond and jump on board with cryptocurrency in general. But here's the problem. McDonald's has always been kind of an after the fact. It's like, okay, me too. We're, we're finally caught up. We'll finally do it like all day breakfast, right? and which they, of course, canceled but because of the pandemic. But all day breakfast, Jack in the Box had it for ages. And then for whatever reason, McDonald's refused, 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 refused. And the excuse was always, well, the way we prep a deep, deep, deep. And then finally, they just had to give in. And then they do all day breakfast, and it's great. Pandemic hits, and then they cancel it. So it's like, dude, what is the matter with you guys? So I want to just be clear. McDonald's is always an after the fact. They're always like, yeah, whatever, 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 whatever. Burger King has been stepping up and saying, you know what? We're open to it. We might consider it. You know, we've already, they, Burger King takes Bitcoin cash believe it or not. So Burger King's already kind of positioned from a technology perspective about doing it. And they're basically throwing kind of shade at McDonald's like they always kind of have done, you know. Um, so it's it's starting this war of the various, you know, fast food restaurants. Anybody who remembers Blockbuster, everybody's friend Blockbuster from way back in the days, Blockbuster video, right? They had they were stores all over the place. Their logo was the, it looked like a movie ticket, blue and yellow. And it was all over, literally all over. And then they started shutting down because they, just like McDonald's, were kind of after the fact. They didn't catch on when Netflix and Redbox and all these other competitors were showing up. And we started seeing a decline in rental, just the industry for rental of video, but also video game rentals. That whole industry started to decline. And so Bit Blockbuster struggled to keep up. Same with Hollywood Video. Blockbuster is back. At least the brand is back. They're looking into doing a cryptocurrency and they're looking into doing some NFTs around the cryptocurrency and then tying that into the NFTs with the entertainment that they would offer contracts around plus tying into the metaverse. So if you've heard on other news that there were celebrities and musicians and others that were thinking about releasing some of their content as NFTs so they can ensure profit because of course the you know, the CD industry has been on the decline. Streaming is up, but they don't make as much money off of this. And then, of course, live events have been impacted by the pandemic. So all of these different results have now caused them to kind of think, okay, how can we get creative with this? And they thought about, well, what if we just make NFTs and you can buy an NFT and it entitles you to the 
the work, whether it's a movie or it's a live performance or a CD or something else. So Blockbuster is again jumping on that bandwagon. It's surprising to see that they're still that they still have a brand that was that was left out. But I know there was like one Blockbuster out in Hawaii that still was left standing. So I'm happy to see them back because I think that Blockbuster was a strong brand that was mismanaged. That's my opinion. And they should still be around because what we're seeing now is that people will do the streaming and they'll do the Netflix, but we see that all the Netflix content is crap. And so people are now seeing we want different alternatives. So if they're able to actually, I, I stand corrected. That last store is in Bend, Oregon, and it apparently is still there. So Dish Network owns Blockbuster, the brand, but Dish Network has been largely separated from Blockbusters directly because Dish Network and DirecTV, they've kind of gone back and forth with partnerships and alignments to try to increase relevance because satellite started to decline, of course, with streaming when streaming came along. And so now Dish is trying to get on board. And so there's a lot going on with that. I would pay attention to it because I do think that there's the brand is strong enough that they could make a dent in the industry if they do it correctly, whether they do it correctly. Of course, that's a whole different thing. Now the big news, the bear in the room, first of all, this I'm concerned but at the same time, I'm a little bit relieved because it didn't come across the way I expected it to. But there was a, a competes act released by the House um, in the United States. And the competes act mostly targeted around, and we'll have to read the actual black letter of the bill, which we haven't done yet. But what it mostly talks about is trying to fix, it's trying to fix a couple of different things around STEM in general, STEM, science, technology, education and medical or excuse me, engineering and medical. So let me try to summarize what they're trying, the problem they're trying to solve. If, if that helps, because I think it's important that we talk about the problems that, that is trying to solve. We know that the semiconductor issue, it basically brought us to our knees because like say the PS five, the PS five is already old and yet very few people have their hands on one. And it's this rat race, and it's worse than anything we've ever seen. But things are also affected like phones, tablets, computers. Everything uses semiconductors in some form. And so it's just getting progressively worse, and there has never been a true solution to the problem. We've never had something step up and solve it. But to understand what got us to this point, what got us to this point was a rush to outsourcing. We purposely took our internal manufacturing and we offshored it. We sent it elsewhere because we assumed that there would not be this kind of a pandemic that was short-sighted. We should have kept redundancy plan in place that said, we're going to manufacture our own internally and then we'll use the offshore as a backup or for shortfall, like for consoles like this, right? So they didn't do that. So they offshored everything. And then of course we had travel bans because of COVID. So then they realized, okay, oh crap, we got a problem. And we went the entire span, remember, the entire span of 2020 and 2021 suffering under this with a projection that was continued through to 2023. So now this is in response in part to that, to try to get to figure out how we can bring some of that back on shore. Now, the irony of this, of course, is that that's something that former President Trump was trying to do, and he wasn't successful because they drug current President Biden into office. And then he was not focused on it because he was focused on allowing illegal immigrants to come in and 
killing Keystone, which spiked gas prices. And so now I believe that this is this has bipartisan support because they realize that it's hit a fever pitch and they have no choice because everybody depends on semiconductors. It's not a partisan issue anymore. So he can't afford to ignore it. That's what we're seeing. So in summary, the first thing they want to try to do is to create a fund, and this is more money printing, but create a fund to try to incentivize private sector to get back into semiconductors and address these supply chain disruptions, even if it means that it's a short-term, short gap. Because I don't think they're going to do it personally, or, or excuse me, permanently. I think they're going to do it for the now, just to get past the current gap, and then eventually turn it off again. That's my gut, because there's a lot of money being pumped into this. They're also going to try to look at the supply chain in total and try to figure out how we don't have shortages in the future when things like this happen. Because it's not just the pandemic. You also have disasters that happen or whatever where supply chains are impacted because those are core centers of manufacturing. They're looking at seeing how can we strengthen that overall so that we're better prepared when things happen. They're also looking at the research that goes into science and technology and innovations and try to figure out how we can start moving things forward. Because if you notice, there was a very period of, a very expansive period of time when we were consistently innovating over and over and over again, right? From the moment Steve Jobs stepped up on that stage, now, of course, we can go back to flip phones and back phones, but I'm talking about from true innovation. From the moment Steve Jobs stepped up on that stage and released the first iPad, if you look at that first iPad and you compare it to any tablet we have today, it was clear that we were on a path of innovation, right? And then when Steve Jobs passed away, some of that innovation disappeared. There was no longer a desire to compete, I don't believe. Camera technology has improved. Phone technology has improved. Battery technology is not. Vehicle technology has improved. I would argue that truck technology is not. And then there was a rise of SUVs, but SUVs assumed that gas prices stay down. Of course, that's not the case, and so now people are hurting. So there's everything ties together in innovation and technological research. And so part of this is to look at technology. Now, this is the one that's going to be concerning, I think, in the crypto space because we don't know what that means. They're very generic about what they're talking about. So we don't know what that means. And I suspect when we read the black letter of the bill, we're going to find situations that are designed to limit and or preclude the trading of cryptocurrency in some way because they're going to believe that in order to innovate, we have to do something better or different and we don't want this over here because it holds us back. That's my theory. I have not read it, but that's generally how it goes, that when we say advancing technology innovation, we often mean stymieing what innovation is already out there. Then they're talking about being competitive for economic development, diplomacy, human rights, alliances. This has always been in every bill. This one feels like it's, a, it's an attack on former President Trump of the saying, you know, we want to improve our relationships across the globe. Well, the counter of that, of course, is that if we had done what we needed to do for Afghanistan, we probably wouldn't be in the situation where we're having to address that. Regardless, it's a common thing. So when we dig into where they're talking about this stuff, NIST standards, which is, I'm not going to get into technology details, but NIST standards have driven what we do for a very long time. They want to advance those. Department of Energy Science, they want to advance that. National Science Foundation for the Future. To me, that one takes... That one's going to be, that one I think is going to be a waste of money in my opinion. Um, and again, you can read the black letter at some point, but I think that's going to be a waste of money. Uh, Bioeconomy, bio sorry. And <clears throat> that one's a normal thing. We have that now. 
but I, I think they're considering it underserved, and it probably is. Rural STEM education, I don't, uh, yeah, but I don't know that I don't know that it's a problem we need to solve. I guess uh, sexual harassment in science, sure, but I don't know that that needs government, uh, federal government involvement. That feels like a state level thing, in my opinion. Uh, other levels of STEM, Energizing Technology Transfer Act. Um, that one's concerning because that's talking about clean energy, proof of work, deep, deep, deep. Uh, strategy, science, technology, uh, review of the nation's innovation landscape. That's a little concerning. Uh, early career scientists is fine. And then supply chain strengthening. And it goes through pretty methodical deep. There's a lot in here. And I want it. That's why I'm kind of surface summarizing a lot of this. There's a lot of this. Wireless supply chain. So 5G still is not widespread, number one. Number two, there are still areas of our country that don't even have 3G access, don't even have 2G access. We used to have a framework under Nextel that was strong. You basically could get signal everywhere, you know, tunnels and, and buildings and everywhere. And then that went away. And then 2G and 3G were kind of widespread, but then 4G comes along and it's faster significantly but it's not as widespread. And then they're forcing 5G down people and 5G is not widespread and it has limitations. Now they're talking about 6G. So I think this one's going to be a waste of money because they're not fixing the fundamentals of the problem, which is access to internet should be ubiquitous first. Get it to where you can drive parts of every state in this country and you'll hit black zones. That's expected. But if I take Nevada as an example, I drove from Northern California through to the top of Nevada and then down to where I'm at. There's an, I would say probably of that entire road stretch, probably 80% of it has no signal. That's not acceptable. We're talking along a major, major freeway. Now it could be that area 51 is censoring all that. I don't, I don't want to tinfoil, but I'm saying we need to fix the fundamentals of getting access everywhere before we start doing anything there. Personal opinion. Department of Foreign Affairs, that's a that's necessary. They're finally talking about fentanyl. That's good um, because there was a, I don't think there was a lot of focus on it. Now, all of a sudden, years after the fact, a year after him going in office, he's talking about find the likely source or origin of the COVID virus. Confidence in the assessment challenges identified to make that assessment. Well, that should have been priority number one. If we're being honest with ourselves, that should be number one because we know what the origin of that was. We know that data is out there, and a lot of that information has now been deleted because he waited too long. That's kind of sketchy to me. Going a little bit deeper, they were talking about simplifying access to, you know, work and and jobs in STEM careers, regardless of whether you have a degree. I don't see anything that talks about that specifically. The reason that's important is that there may be people out there who want to get into cryptocurrency, but they're, you know, you're, you're tethered because you do have to go through that educational, but it's expensive. And so it's hard. You get there's student loans and other ways to get in there. But what I'd like to see is first the government embracing cryptocurrency at the core. That has to be number one. Number two, create programs specifically around cryptocurrency education to get more people in the business that understand cryptocurrency so that we can strengthen it as a platform and we can have creative minds come out with ideas to prevent, you know, scams and honeypots and things. Is there a risk that we do have people who abuse that? Sure. But I do want to see in in my mind that we're, we're investing in cryptocurrency education more than we currently do. And I don't think that this does that as far as what I'm reading, 
I don't see that it's doing that. There's things like grants and that kind of stuff. I'm never a fan of grants because you got to apply for that. I would rather we just create a program that's targeted to strengthening cryptocurrency education so that we're not having to force people to, you know, endure hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt or that we have to apply for grants or justify why we're doing it. It just is a thing. If we have the interest and we have the energy to do it, we're able to go and do it. And there's a program dedicated specifically to it. I don't think that's here from what I see. I will read the black letter and circle back. And the reason I'm so adamant about it is because if you think about it, part of the part of the challenge with crypto and the scams and honeypots that are out there might have to do with the fact that we're not having strong programs that support crypto. So it's still kind of this underground thing because things like the way you script it and the way you implement, you know, the scripts that run it and smart contracts is not overseen by anybody who is able to do it right. And so you have people that just get code from like GitHub or something and they just throw it in there and then they tweak it to benefit themselves. Well, I think if you educate people properly and then you oversee it because you've embraced it, I think you can go a long way to strengthening it for and then solving that concern for anybody who's getting scammed and honeypotted. And I know I spent a lot of time on this, but I the, the question that came out from this is how is this going to affect cryptocurrency? And from my read there, I believe that there are going to be some impacts on crypto that are unknown. And I don't see that there's enough energy put towards solving crypto and embracing it by using some of this to benefit that program and benefit education to it. And as well, create an industry, like create more of an industry than what we have right now. It's kind of this cottage industry, right? People just kind of spin up a thing and do it. We actually should have more formality to this without the egregious, you know, regulation that they want to do, but the ability to spin up the token project, the ability to manage it, the ability to learn about start to finish how you create these, how you fund them, how you do liquidity pools and how you do it correctly, as well as education for white hat hackers, you know, being able to identify when contracts are honeypots better than we currently can do. Cause we have all sorts of scams that are out there that look like clean code, but then there's something that they hooked in there. So I think it's a missed opportunity from what I see. If there's something I missed, I will find it once I read the black letter, but I know these bills are usually like 700 pages long. So at some point I will look at it and see what the deal is there with that. And hopefully there is something there that is going to improve eligibility for people regardless of their current situation. Final bit of news is a little bit tweaked. Um, there's a plan to have a guest on the show. We are trying to coordinate schedules. This guest is in a completely different time zone though. We're talking hours in the opposite. So we're trying to, He's, he's using a, a coordinator person, and I'm working with that person to get schedules all synchronized and get on the same page so we can get on that. So as soon as I hear back from him, then I want to have him on the show to especially talking about Bitcoin because I think it's relevant. Um, he has a, He's done a lot. He's spun up a lot of businesses in the cryptocurrency industry, and he's right at the forefront of crypto lending and everything else. And he's taken, I think, something that went a slight bit viral and, you know, in hindsight, obviously it's clear, right? Well, at the time, what his message was was pretty clear and obvious. It's just nobody listened to him. So now fast forward and he's parlayed that into what he's done. And I'm, I'm really excited to speak to him. We just need to get the schedules all tied up. So that's going to take a little bit. There's also another gentleman that he has a YouTube channel. I want to have him on the show. And that one's more, he's doing a lot, but I really want to talk to him about Keanu Inu and Satama and 
Uh, he's talked about other tokens as well. I want to pick his brand on those because he's more of a fundamentalist, right? My analysis is more sentiment related. It's more, you know, from an audit perspective, what are obvious red flags I see? I'm not really paying attention to the graph. I'm looking at the, you know, the nuts and bolts of the details about how they give what they're talking about. And then I cover it from there. Um, whereas he's more fundamental. He'll pull up the graph and he will talk you through what he sees in the price movement. And then he'll round it out with kind of his opinion pieces. But generally speaking, he's a lot more fundamentalist. So I'm, I'd like to have him on the show at some point in the future. I'd like to have Teddy Ganja on the show because I'm intrigued by his level of knowledge on cloud and AWS. And I'd like to just pick his brain from the underlying hooks, but you know, underneath crypto and when you do tools like Cytomask or others, kind of what are these things that he sees and he's aware of? He's talked about it on his channel, which is a great channel. I think it's called My Crypto Journey. He's talked about it on that channel, um, but I want to see if I can pick his brain a little bit deeper, see if I can get, if I can possibly get him on the show. The other person I would love to extend an invite to is Crypto Queen, who's recently done videos. She talks about a number of different tokens as well that she's bullish on. And and she's commented about Satama. She's been in Satama a long time. And she's been one of those mainstays that's frequently spoken positive about Satama. As many in the Satama so-called Saito Wolfpack have talked positive about the project. But I think the one common thread amongst all of us arguably is many of us, we see red flags, we see smoke, and we want to explain it. And we want to have a confident answer in it as investors. It doesn't mean that it's FUD, because as I said on my previous episode, talking about Kishimoto, FUD happens when you're saying things that are purposely untrue in an attempt to harm or hurt something. The things she's saying are factually accurate. The things Tom uh, believes is saying is factually accurate. The, th the things that many people are saying are factually accurate. It's just that the developers don't like it and it's hate is going to hate. That's not, no, it's not hating. We're calling out what we see. And as a response to some of this, I felt necessary as i mentioned because we're on youtube now with the snippets every day i'm going to upload some of the historical context that i did around satama as we led up to and then shortly after the failed vegas event just so you can put it in perspective that it's not that this is a new thing like we didn't come out of nowhere talking about these issues some of them didn't come to full surface until late game but these have been a thing for a long time and so I would love to talk to her as far as her sense from an investor perspective to an investor. Investor to investor, just chat it out. And what do we think and what do we see and what do we feel? Sentiment. And hopefully the, the collective, right, of all of us giving this message and trying to put fundamentals. Like I think Teddy did an amazing job talking about the fundamentals and breaking it down, only to be called a hater for nothing. And I know Teddy's also been potentially getting involved with Shinja. I want to talk about that a little bit, not him, but Shinja, the project, because I was, I had the unfortunate or say misfortune, I guess is better said of sitting in on YouTube videos, browsing for crypto stuff. And I noticed that they were, they were on the MA for Shinja and geez, you know, I talk about toxic communities. I wouldn't call Shinja generally a toxic community, but it's heading that direction. And it's unfortunate because some of what I'm seeing and hearing is, un, is not necessary. And there are some people who are getting attacked um, there's a guy, I forget what his name is, Faltron maybe. Um, but he's asking fundamental questions. He's asking really solid questions that should have an answer. And the responses he's getting, it's like, geez, it doesn't matter that he's tinfoil. He's a little bit tinfoil, but so what? Let's focus on the questions he's asking and get back to a little bit of base ground one. So some of the things he was talking about are, for example, when money moves from wallet A to wallet B. Or let's say that leadership changes, like the whole Steve 
I'm not even going to touch that one. Things change that affect the course of the token administration. And you as an investor should be in the loop about what's going on and why. I think what happens or tends to happen is you get, again, ego gets in the way. And Cliff, who runs the Shinja Project, I've talked about him before. I've invited him on the show. He's ignored me. Cliff was responding with just, yeah, it's our wallets. Yeah, it's our wallets. Yeah, we moved it. And then he says, we talked about it on the AMA. Let me just say this. For anybody who's managing a token, for anybody who's administering a token, who anybody who's invested in a token, anybody who's supporting a token, anybody who's developing anything around a token, I say it time and again. You need to act like a business, not like an outlaw mud show. Your job is to do certain fundamental things. Your investors are your boss. So no, I'm sorry. I, yes, Faltron or whatever is tinfoil. I agree with you. However, he's correct in what he exposed, which is, could you imagine you're, you're in a business, right? And you're an investor and you're on the board and the, you know, the CEO, you, you ask a question about, Hey, what happened to this? You know, the TPS report for this here and what's going to happen to our stock in the next two years. And this guy comes out and says, well, I covered that on the Slack yesterday. Deep, deep, deep. That's basically what Cliff did. I covered it on the AMA. So for him, that's sufficient. No, it's not sufficient. I said it before. You need to have it in documentation form. Faltron referred to some notable list. Okay, I agree. Sure, whatever. But you should have it on your website that you announce that you're doing this and why you're doing it and the reason you have to do it that way and no other way. You should ideally have it in your white paper documentation that these changes have been made and here's why and here's the numbers and all this. You should have it in independently verifiable documented form, not rely on your AMAs, not rely on Telegram, not rely on Twitter spaces, because that is unacceptable as a response. As a result, folks, I will not, from what I saw, now if he comes out, I doubt he will, but if Cliff comes out and says, you know what, that was inappropriate, you're correct, I should have done due diligence, he did say, sorry, I made a mistake, deep, deep, deep. No, just totally dismissive, totally not understanding the problem, I think. Because Faltron was too busy trying to make the argument, they weren't listening to each other. At the end of the day, they both had a good point. Faltron has a point. Dude, you need to get your act together. Don't just backhanded do an apology. Say, you know what? Yes, we screwed up. We should be updating due diligence documentation. You straight up admitted that list is months out of date. Why is that acceptable to you, dude? No, I'm sorry. It's not. You need to have your documentation updated on a consistent basis. And if you can't do it, hire someone to do it. Faltron is off because he's just throwing accusation, accusation. He's caught some tinfoil, which comes across as FUD because he's not able to put together a concise, coherent argument. So then he's just triggering Cliff. So they're not listening to each other. At the end of the day, Faltron had a good point. Your documentation needs to be kept up to date, dude, and you better be clear and do not rely on AMAs, Twitter spaces, Telegram, because guess what? Most of the time that stuff's not recorded. Even if you do record it, it needs to be in document form. Because your documentation, your websites, everything are your true source of information. Nobody lives in the bubble but you. As a result, I made the decision. I'm not going to recommend Shibnobi until I see that they're making changes in their fundamentals. It's not even about the person. I want to see that they acknowledge they have fundamentals they need to do and they need to stop relying on Telegram for their communication. If I see them do that, I will gladly recommend them as long as they're didn't AMA deep, deep, deep. I'm not going to recommend them because to me that's that's anti-investor, anti-consumer, and I will not support that myself. You as a listener should make your own decision for your own reason, and if it makes sense for you, by all means, I'm just saying for me, I will not recommend them until I see fundamental changes in how they treat it, and they need to understand 
their investors are their boss. So figure out how to make that work. Now, let's talk about our underdog token for the day because I'm really excited to finally talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, this just in late breaking news. Okay, I meant to cover an underdog token. I had every intention of covering an underdog token. However, something just was brought to my attention that, contrib- that troubles me greatly. And I am going to put a recommendation out here for you. Not for this specific token, because I don't think it's specifically this token, but it's a general problem. And I'm seeing it more and more. And I just talked about it with this whole Shibnobi business. So I'm going to make a general statement here now. Any token, I don't care who you are, any token, any network, anywhere who has a stance where you're assuming people go to Twitter or to Telegram only, for this communication and you're doing so in a disruptive way with an, with an urgency that does not give enough people enough time to take action on it. I am no longer going to advocate for you as a project. So like I said, I'm not going to recommend Shibnobi until they get on the ball and acknowledge that no, what you did was wrong and you need to get better fundamentals. I'm no longer going to recommend Perry Inu because Perry Inu announced a couple days ago. And when I say a couple days ago, I'm referring to Monday in this case. So if you think of the span of time, basically what they did is they spun up a new contract because if you didn't know, Para Inu, they immediately, and I called this out, they immediately locked their liquidity. They were doing renounce. They were doing all this stuff up front, which I thought might be a problem because it might cause some issues and I expected there would be some problems. Turns out that they spun up a new contract. After they spun up the new contract, then they said, okay, and they sent out a tweet, and they apparently was on Telegram, and they said, all right, now send your tokens to this address. Here's the problem. I said that migrations never go clean. Dior had issues in the first part of the migration. The second part was pretty much dramatically smooth, but they had to do it again, but they eventually got it. But no migration goes smooth. However, you usually are going to do migrations in a way that is non-disruptive to the user so that it's a seamless process. What they're doing is they're saying, nope, send your tokens here and we'll give you back tokens after the, you know, once the new contract launches. So you're trusting them to do that, number one. Number two, I don't think they did enough aggressive outreach to make sure that all people were taken care of. And number three, there's not enough time between when they announced this on a Monday and when they were going to do it. Number four, They're asking to do the send, but you got to realize because they chose to build it on Ethereum. And if you go back to that episode where I covered it, I said, I'm very disappointed they chose to put it on Ethereum as opposed to Binance because I suspected something like this might happen. So the net result of this, of course, is that people got into their wallets and they're seeing that basically they're they're. And remember, Parainu has been on the way down, 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 down. It's been tanking. Well, People got in their wallets and they noticed their pair in you all of a sudden is now worth nothing. And that's because they were draining the liquidity because they had to do this today. That's the date that they picked from a January 24th announcement that largely only went out through Telegram and Twitter. There are a number of people who are banned from the Telegram. So they would never have known. Telegram, you only would have known if you went to the pair in you page or you followed the pair in you on Twitter or somebody happened to share it out. But because it only was that January 24th announcement of a thing, and because they chose not to do this in a more controlled fashion, a lot of people were very frustrated that, okay, all of a sudden my tokens are worth nothing because now many people didn't have enough to justify doing the send because of the gas fees in Ethereum. 
because they chose to do it as Ethereum as opposed to Binance. So it's a big fear. Basically, if you have Para Inu, it's worth nothing. And you would have to spend gas to get it over there. They claim that they'll get you sorted, but that's assuming you can get in Telegram to get the help because they rely on it. If you rely only on Telegram, I'm no longer going to advocate you. You need to do a better job. They did update the website to their credit, but I don't think there's enough time in when they announced they're going to do it and when they were going to do it. And they made bad decisions up front in terms of locking everything down, not realizing what was lacking. And they should have really just kept the existing contract and spun up a parallel con- token and then allowed people to do a swap with a bridge or something so that people didn't lose out, but you still could do the move. So it's a whole big thing. People are really not happy. And I think this is going to harm investor sentiment and the reputation of the token to the point that even though I think it's a solid project, I thought it was, and the new contract specs seem good, this is too early. You just launched the darn thing and then you didn't give enough time for people to plan. And then you put it on Ethereum and you didn't put the new contract on Binance to avoid those same gas fees. It's a bad situation all around. I have no problems putting it down to say, no, this is not the way we need to do this in crypto land. And people are not going to really support projects that do this this early just after launch. It means bad decisions were made.